You are listening to The Interactome, a podcast by a group of young researchers who want to connect you to the world of science by sharing their stories and perspectives. Just in case their bosses are listening, they want to remind you that the opinions expressed here are their own. They also want to remind you not to take anything they say as medical or professional advice, as they are not doctors. Not yet, anyway. Stay tuned about that. And, without further ado, welcome to the Interactome. Hello, everyone. Um, Welcome back to the Interactome. So I believe, and Natalie can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm bad at dates, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And so we wanted to do a episode on cybersecurity. And so naturally, uh, because none of us are experts in this, I went and uh, got the person who I typically ask my cybersecurity questions to, uh, a friend (laughs) of mine, uh, uh, Virginia. Uh, So if you want to introduce yourself. uh, Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Virginia. Um, I am. I love cybersecurity. It's my job. I'm a, currently an analyst in one of those cybersecurity operations centers. Um, I've been doing this since I graduated from college uh, about I don't know, eight years ago, six years ago now, somewhere in there. Um, and I've also just graduated with my master's in cybersecurity from University of California at Berkeley. Um, they have a master's in information um, and cybersecurity. It's uh, one of it was one of the best educational experiences I've ever had, um, which I feel like is pretty high praise for a online master's program. Um, mm-hmm. And the cool thing about um, okay, I'm gonna stop talking because I'm gonna... <laughs> no, but no yeah. worries. So um, yeah, the... yeah, that was perfect. And I think you know. On this show, too, um, we do a lot of, we cover a lot of different areas that not a lot of, we like to go outside our comfort zone, right? A lot of us are uh, biologists, study uh, biology. (laughs) There we go. That's a great description, (laughs) Natalie. Um, but, (laughs) um, But I think one thing, you know, that is cybersecurity. So, for new listeners, I'm Natalie. Um, I work in public relations, and I used to do uh, PR for a lot of cybersecurity companies. Um, I used to be on that arm of my agency, and and I never thought about cybersecurity until it was really truly brought to my attention how crucially important cybersecurity is. I was like, oh yeah, like we just have passwords, like it's fine. Um, but there's actually so much hinging on it. And I think, you know, there's a cybersecurity awareness month for a reason. Like it's just, it's very important. And I remember one of the people that I used to work with, he always said like cybersecurity should be invisible. Like you, your day-to-day person who is not a cybersecurity pro shouldn't be thinking about cybersecurity because then cybersecurity becomes a nuisance to them. You want the cybersecurity to work with them. So that's pretty much the extent of my experience, but um, that's always something I found very interesting. Hey, everyone. I'm Joe. Um, my experience with cybersecurity is very minimal. Um, if you ask me to code, I can tell you I know what strings are, and that's it. Um, but um, as some of you may have heard in the previous episode um, with um, like my, my dad having been in the FBI, um, and sharing some of his experience with like investigating cybersecurity related cases and things like that. Um, I do know a bit about the significance of cybersecurity. I mean, um, one, one example, and this is, um, this is actually something that happened to um, a friend of mine in the state of Maryland, is uh, someone hacked in and stole a large amount of patient data and um, basically tried they did like a, a ransomware attack um and kind of brought down the, uh, a entire healthcare system um for a short period of time but still when people need critical care and the system that you used to manage all of them is down it's a huge problem um so uh virginia we're re- we're really happy that you're here to chat about this with us and our listeners and we're we're excited to learn more 
And Joe, I want to call out something that you said earlier too. Um, you uh, mentioned, go. you know, <laughs> uh, what? That's where I was going to go. Oh yeah, you <laughs> I know mentioned, exactly where you're you know, going. Yeah, you. Hey Sam, we're on the same. You and I we're, are one and the same. Psychic or worse. <laughs> um, but Joe, what you mentioned was, you know, you have no coding experience, right? Or you're not familiar with code. Um, in our preliminary call, so for our listeners, we always, when we have guests on, we always chat with them before, talk about, you know, topics and the story we want to tell. And that was my big question for Virginia. I was like, so what, you know, do you just code all day? And, you know, I'm going to open up the Florida, Virginia, but that was, um, one of the most surprising misconceptions that I didn't even know. Um, yeah. So it's, cybersecurity isn't all coding. It's actually a lot, uh, different than that which was a surprise to me so virginia maybe you can touch on that a little bit yeah it just i think maybe even back up a little bit further um you know i'm not a cybersecurity expert either i don't know if i introduced myself by name like i think i was a little excited um <laughs> if i didn't my name's sam, uh, Hi, sam. and i i uh i'm also not a cybersecurity you know him you expert. love him yeah I, I i uh you know i don't even play one on tv but sometimes sometimes things go horribly wrong at work and people are like uh computers i'm like eh I minored in computer science. I know how to code. I can talk about it. Maybe <laughs> it just gets me into trouble. And so maybe for all of us, before we say something else that's going to embarrass us, Virginia, could you maybe <laughs> like help us define cybersecurity? <laughs> Thank you, Sam, for bringing it back. Yeah, no. So um, I think there's a few cool things to talk. There's a lot of cool things to talk about in this field, but cybersecurity. Um, in general is usually defined by something called the CIA triad, which is the Mm -hmm. ability to maintain the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of any IT system. And so um, the basis of that, if you can maintain those three things in an IT system, then it is secure, like more or less, or it has, most of the time when you have a cybersecurity incident, it impacts Mm -hmm. one of those three areas. It either takes down the availability it changes the integrity of the data within the system um, it, or it, it publishes everything publicly. Like when there are public uh, AWS S3 buckets out um, in the world. And it's just, it, there's store, sometimes there's storage that's housed in the cloud online. Mm. And um, one of the most common things that people like when they're first trying to like find things they maybe shouldn't they look for that uh, misconfiguration of this cloud uh, storage system and it's called Mm -hmm. like an s3 bucket and sometimes when those are published with the incorrect configuration um, you can like see the entire contents of like what someone's data is so that's the confidentiality side of um, cybersecurity. so so, um maybe even just just because uh i don't know if everyone listening to this uh, knows what all of those things are. I, you're not talking about a literal bucket in a literal cloud, right? No, no. Yeah. Um, Virginia's talking, like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> no. Um, so let's step step back just a little bit. So basically, data can be housed in a number of areas, and mm-hmm. it's um, a container. Like that's just what a bucket is. It's just a container that's in. Um, online somewhere Mm -hmm. that's being hosted and you normally you can pay like amazon aw which is aws amazon web Mm -hmm. services or you can do the google route and that's uh called google cloud um oh my god what's the third one gcp uh, google cloud platform that's it so um there's tons of different ways you can host things online um and those can be easy or sometimes not so easy to compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's one of the things that uh, going back to um, Natalie's question was about kind of what I do day to day um, and how maybe much, how much coding or how little coding um, it takes. I I do want to say that my role within the security operations center is a little bit more tactical maybe than mm. someone who's building systems from the ground up. So you would think of a software engineer as needing to keep cybersecurity in mind when they're building their software platform. But um, instead of being a software engineer, 
what I do is I help maintain different IT systems and make sure that their configuration is as secure as possible. That's mm -hmm. one half of my job. And then the other half is mostly um, tactical and response, which it's incident response. So you're handling um, different cybersecurity events that come in, you triage them, and then um, sort of analyze whether or not they're true positive or false positive. Um, and then you basically write up reports and try to figure out ways to like make the systems more secure as a result of those incidents. And so it's that constant feedback loop that I'm a part of. Um, and so just to confirm those true positives and false positives are, I imagine a true positive is yes, this is an incident, you know, that we need to intervene on and a false positive is, um, the opposite of that being like, Oh, it, the, the alert went off, but there's nothing here that we need to worry about. Yes. Yeah. And are there ever, and this is just, um, are there ever, uh, false negatives? Like, is that something that happens too? Yeah. Um, I would say that those are pretty few and far between. Um, so like you can see that how we kind of look at it is um, it's a true positive. Like the event did actually happen and the alert triggered on the right settings. Um, and that that's sort of like kind of, okay, a true positive, but there's true positive malicious where, oh, this actually resulted in there being some consequences and steps that we need to take to gotcha. mitigate this versus a true positive, um, not malicious where, oh, mm -hmm. the, the system actually did uh, trigger, oh, it is not the best uh, situation that our users, they're downloading content from somewhere, but it's not a malicious content. So we would say that's a true positive, uh, not malicious. And most of my day is going trying to deliberate between the two of those yeah so when we talk about the day-to-day -day, we talk about these like things that happen like maybe it would make more sense to walk through what happens in an incident so like let's just come up with a hypothetical incident maybe you know joe's friend who they had a ransomware attack and it's a big one or we could talk about a really small one like you know someone downloading something but like i don't know if you have like a hypothetical incident something that you have experience with they could maybe walk the listener through so we understand what it's like to actually respond to these sorts of things, right? Because right now, yeah, we're hearing a lot of stuff. And I think it's really grounded to hear about that. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest issues facing businesses today is actually something called business email compromise, which is found when um, a so business or an enterprise needs an email system to work mm -hmm. but um, and communicate with others, other businesses, right? But um what we see a lot with that is that phishing and spam emails come in and spam are just like annoying emails that come in from like different vendors that you have or uh, different people you have to talk to every day. But then the phishing is when they're trying to get the user to do something like take an action, such as the latest one that I've seen coming out is QR code scanning um, oh, because um yeah, we can talk about why that's like the new latest thing that I've seen. Um, that's but, wild. Yeah, so the reason it actually comes through is because uh, the email systems now know how to parse, oh, where did the email come from? They'll tell you where it came from. They'll they'll tell you, oh, it tried to like obfuscate and pretend to be from someone else, which is called spoofing. Um, it, like different email protection services will... Um, like be able to tell you all of those things but what they can't we haven't gotten to a great point with scanning images to see if the images would bring you to a url that hasn't been scanned yet and that's where the qr code comes in because you can just put a screenshot of one right yep exactly you just put a png file of the qr code and um usually people oh, I'm on my business laptop, I can't see it. And then they'll take their BYOD cell phone that might or may not have uh, antivirus or the protective things. And uh, sometimes our phones are set to auto lock it, log into things, right? So mm -hmm. if it go it's going to a website and you're like, oh, this looks normal, use my credentials that are saved, you could compromise someone's account that way. 
I saw a tweet the other day um, about about business email compromise, and somebody got uh, tricked by uh, you know how like companies now do like phishing. Um, they'll like send you fake phishing emails. Well. They're fake as the sense that, like, the company yeah. sends them so they can be like, ha, we caught you. Be more careful with your email. Some guy clicked a suspicious link and got in trouble for phishing because the link was like, pick your office snack preferences. <laughs> and he didn't check whether, <laughs> like, the link was safe or, like, who it was coming from because he was excited about the snacks. I mean, everyone's excited about snacks all the time. And if you're not. You have yeah. to look at your priorities, man. You need some good snacks in the office. So, so say, so say for example, you're working IT at, you know, I don't know, a company that I'm working for. And I like snacks too. And I, I, I click on the, the link for the snack thing. And now, now, now I've done whatever happens. Or what does that look like on your end? What happens next? Right. If we, if we click on the suspicious link, I am really excited for eating Pringles in the break room and I'm going to discover I'm not, but you have another problem <laughs> on your hands. <laughs> Yeah, so um, normally if you have an email protection service, what you could do, um, or even just use um, using like um, the in built-in functionality of, say, Google or Outlook, you can set up different alerts to come in. So I'm sitting there as an analyst in the, cyber, the Cybersecurity Operations Center, um, and I receive an alert, oh, someone clicked on some, a link that it doesn't look the best, you know, um, that could be a way I'd hear about it. The other way I could hear about it is the user could click on the link and then be like, Oh no, I was a fish. I was totally, Oh, I was so wrong. I feel bad. <laughs> like sometimes, um, they, they then click on, uh, a report fish button that's built into, you know, the email service they're using. Um, and then, the other way that we could tell or like we would get an alert that we would have to triage is we would get a network facing alert. So um, we would see, oh, there's this many bytes being downloaded from this type of domain and the domain might have flagged as strange. Oh, why is this company that's based in Boston getting an alert for someone downloading something from uh, India, for example, or yeah an IP that's not as normal to business practices. So there's different, the, there, the cool thing to talk about there is that there's so many different ways that we can detect that. Um, but the easiest and fastest way for us to like hear about it is usually from one of the users telling us. Um, and it just depends on the types of products. And that's what kind of operations in a security team can look like is trying to think about oh are we alerting on this in all of the different ways that we can and then from there you figure out what's which alert gives you the best ratio between true positive um, malicious and the amount you're spending creating the alert so that's when it becomes like a strategic how do you cover how do you get the most mm. bang for your buck and then also, how do you strategically align the organization to meet the risks present in your industry that you're working in? Cool. That's so interesting. And yeah. you brought up, you know, a few different kinds of ways and, you know, incidents, a um, few different ways yeah. that you can be alerted of an incident. What happens then? Like, you have to yeah. report it. Can you walk us through um, the process of an incident report? Sure. So basically, um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is NIST, um, uh, has come up with an incident response procedure that I think is super like easy and pretty standard for people in operations um, centers to follow. But it also depends, like when you first get the alert, you triage it, you're saying, oh, where did it come from? What type of information can I get from the systems that it came from? So can I um, see, like, there's, there's a whole bunch of technical jargon that I don't really want to go into, but basically based no on worries. the type of alert, you can filter to get additional data or metadata that might surround the event. So when was the last time the user logged in? When was the last time they changed their password? Hmm. Oh, they're logging in from this type of email system. Do you think this is like a, 
do you think that they like enrolled another did the bad actor get in with credentials oh do we are we seeing logins from anywhere else in the world and then once you see oh there's actually been like the session has been stolen they've gotten into this user's email account um then you could check oh did they add a second factor device into the mm. email the other thing that you'd want to start thinking about is are they putting any email forwarding rules on the inbox so that they can spam and fish everyone else in the organization and then the user not realize that they've actually been fished? Because what you'll see a lot of times is bad actors will get into systems and then wait. They'll set up silent like monitoring and they, um, they'll, they'll sit on different accounts depending on your security mm-hmm. posture within an org. So That's like- scary. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that um, that can be a big risk. That's one of the best arguments for um, basically lowering a session timer. So say I log into uh, my Gmail, my personal Gmail account, and I, surprise, Gmail, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. you log in, and then I have, I set it so it remembers my password on my personal, like, laptop. This is why, like, at certain enterprises, they say, oh, we're not going to allow users to stay logged in forever. Instead, mm-hmm. they force every 12 hours, eight hours, six hours, dep- depending on their level of acceptance of risk, they set that configuration and you'll have to re-log in and reuse your multi-factor, uh, second factor to get into those accounts every single time. And it's a great um, example of why you need not only MFA, but also, um, which is multi-factor authentication, but also like looking at the configuration of the different third-party SaaS uh, software applications um, that you're using to have a lower session timer. Yeah. And I imagine, like you're saying, it also depends on the thing, right? So like, that that was just... I. I, I probably shouldn't blather on about my own job because they'd probably hate me for talking about their cybersecurity policies. But I was noticing actually today, just like, huh, like this thing logs me out really quickly. That thing makes sense because that thing's got important information in it. This thing never logs me out, but it's literally nothing. Like, you know, you'll, I'm sure at an organization you have like, I don't know, something like, you know, there's probably like some service like equivalent to like, you know, Microsoft Paint or something where you're just using it like, to temporarily store non-essential stuff, you probably don't need to lock that every five minutes versus something that's like all of your company's IP, right? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of schools of different thought, right? One is, are you going to put the business needs first? Are you going to let them just like Mm. never have to log in again? Like, and in what situations is that acceptance of risk okay? Versus in like other environments, they might say, well, we're all regulated. Like, say, if you're working for a health company, they're like, we're regulated a lot. We care about our patients' data. We're trying to lock this down as secure as possible. They might say that no matter what type of system, everything logs out in five minutes or everything, you know, has session timers down to like three hours or something. So it's like, and it's also for me where that comes in working in operations is you got to think about the maintenance, Mm. like how, and, and also you have to think this is cybersecurity awareness month, right? So we have Mm -hmm. to think about how, um, how can our consumers and the people, the other employees within the company understand cybersecurity and how can we make this simple for them? Oh, like. I just know I always have to log in every 30 hours and it won't ask me again or it will log me out once a week and I'll have to use my multi-factor. Like the way that you explain it to the user base so they can expect and know that those cybersecurity safeguards are there at expected intervals is super important. So sometimes it's not always about just locking it down the furthest you can. Mm. So... So say you've discovered then that there's someone lurking in someone's email account. Maybe they're not getting logged out for some reason or whatever. Uh, what do you do then? Do you just kick them out? Do you try to see what they're up to? Do you, I don't know, like, what do you do then? If you've now, disco- now you've discovered a malicious actor is hanging out in, you know, someone's 
email account, you know, sending them all these things about fake snack logins or fake uh, fake snack surveys, you know, what do you start doing then? I think you have to know as a professional, right? You have to know what your company's set, uh, like log retention schedule is and what is being logged. So you have to know the systems well enough to know, okay, if I kick this person, if I lock down the account and kind of do the containment portion of my incident response plan, will I still have all of the information necessary to do a full investigation? And that's why like knowing the company's log retention um, is like super important and to having like a strategy around log retention. And for those that are listening that don't know what logs are, basically anything that you do on a computer is recorded or can be recorded and tracked in a certain, like in a, easily digestible for a computer like parsable format so basically like saves all these different logs or log lines of what's happening as transactions on the computer and um, it saves it but saving it costs money so sometimes departments will decide oh I'm only going to keep certain types of logs so I'm going to take keep the security logs but not the authentication logs, or I'm going to keep the authentication logs for when people log in and out of different apps, but I'm not going to keep, oh, they copied and pasted this thing over there. So um, you need to know what sort of information that you have avail readily available to you. And normally what you do is once you, if, if it's a new enough system that you know you have log retention, the immediate thing is first kicking them out. Almost oh. all the time, it's very seldom that the, it isn't that isn't your first thing you do. Um, and then you can go back and see um, the transaction records and in the logs and see what happened. And that's the ideal case scenario. Well, the ideal case is no one's gotten in, but <laughs> if no. someone does, the ideal case is that you have a robust enough um, logging system that you can go back and do that deep dive analysis. And this is also why I think users are super important because yeah, I could do a deep dive analysis on all these log lines and try to get through them in a systematic way, uh, which does sometimes require coding. Uh, or like what's best is when I have a user who's willing and open to talk about what they did on their device and the actions they took. Oh, I clicked here, it started downloading, I got overwhelmed and I got up and walked away. Even having that that much information will set us on the right path to figuring out what happened versus someone who um, is uh, maybe guilty or like feels ashamed that they clicked on the link. I'd much rather just know. And I think that goes for almost everyone is like the more honest and open you can be, the faster the company can contain whatever issues happening. Yeah. Um, this is maybe jumping a little bit ahead in our plan, but um, like that's an interesting point because, you know, occasionally things will happen, right? Like um, we were talking about phishing and reporting phishing emails. And I, I have a bad habit of encountering emails that look like they're phishing. <laughs> so, you know, you, uh, if you're working, this is just something that I've seen personally and you're talking about like, what do you do when you're faced with these situations um you know uh I, I find that like i have a bad habit of well not bad habit a good habit i guess of emailing it being like yeah this email looks really suspicious like it doesn't it's not coming from the right place or it's asking me for this weird information or it's you know it's asking me to log in i thought it was a normal or it's like taking me to a website and i'm like you know i thought i had to log in it's not the normal thing um and so like i'll, I'll often reach out about that and so far, I have not actually been fished, but they're always very grateful for me to be like, yeah, 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 like, thank you for reaching out to us. No, we meant to do that. Um, I think that that's like an important thing to note, right? Because, you know, protecting ourselves is important, right? Yeah, uh, there's tons of different, if you feel like you, this is a kind of a universal memo to anyone um, that's listening. If you feel like you've been a victim of fraud or like that your cybersecurity habits have resulted in someone attempting to like harm you or commit fraud against you, you can always report it to the government. Um, 
and they at least track that a little bit. But I think telling people um, like as soon as possible as when something happens, the quicker you ask for help, the quicker you'll get it, you know? So like when you're talking about like cyber attacks and stuff, like you're saying like, oh, you, sh you should report this. But like, I think it might be worth talking about like what can happen if you are a victim of a cyber attack, right? Because you, Virginia, you're working in a corporate environment. You have all these enterprise tools to, you know, say, okay, you know, I saw this person did this and they got in and I did all these sorts of things. But I mean, I've, I've attempted to get the logs on my own computer for other reasons. They're not going to tell me that. But the other thing is like, what, what can happen? You know, what, what is at stake here? Um, I think it's, it's important to talk about because we say it was important to report, but why? Yeah. Um, I think that you can have anything happen to you. I've seen people have bank account, like identity fraud, identity theft is a consequence of your cybersecurity practices. Um, I think the other thing is monetary loss. Um, and then the other thing that sometimes people don't really talk about that much is um, their uh, cyber stalking and um, like their site, their presence being impacted. I've actually never, I've heard of the first two, but I've never heard of like cyber stalking in that way which is so terrifying yeah it, it's it's uh creepy it's not great um it's also one of the like biggest gaps that well other than the americans lack of right to privacy like the fact that there's no safeguards against it's so hard to define what cyber stalking could look like and then also like the courts just aren't if you don't have a right to privacy you like you can't not you can't be cyber right wow so like wow. there's very little enforcement about how i can do it the best is obviously the protections against children um being uh, harassed online is mm -hmm. probably the strongest legal way that you could go about it um but i don't know i feel like cyber cyber stalking is just you know another so example you said a lot of things there that I think like maybe the average listener isn't familiar with because like you're saying like we don't have a right to privacy and there's like like what's happening there like what does that policy environment look like then you know like I think this is a kind of a that's a kind of a scary statement without that like I'm like where's this going <laughs> like yeah so in America <laughs> there is not we do not have an inherent right to privacy like in general like the government is an institution and it like there you aren't guaranteed that as a fundamental right um you are guaranteed that in other parts of the world though like the european union has a policy framework called gdpr gdpr hmm. um and like that helps protect consumers um and their right to privacy california came out um with the California Consumer Privacy Act. And basically that governs the ability for um, consumers to have the right to know how and when their information is being used, um, their right to like opt out of different things if they so choose. And then uh, the they have the right to also go in and delete information. However, there is, um, ways that companies can get around some of these rights um it's not like a bill of rights it's not like an inherent right um none of the things but it's this how the state has chosen um to maintain compliance and or maintain give consumers some control because before mm -hmm. that like that only came out in like 20 what was the first year out of college 2018 so if you think about that for the first 20 something years of your life, you, my life, at least we didn't have a right for, to any of those things. And there was no like special um, companies could host things online and just keep your information forever. Oh, I'm actually wow. stuck in that situation right now, but we don't need to go into it. Oh, I'm... <laughs> that's my big thing about like, if you can choose a company that is mandated to follow GDPR, it's usually the best way to go, especially with like medical data. Um, yeah. So like I, I, 
this is going into complete different tangents, so you, we might want to cut this out, but um, mm -hmm. like say you want to do Ancestry.com or like some sort of like know what your genetic makeup looks like, like some of my friends who are more cybersecurity minded have chosen to not go with the U.S.-based companies mm -hmm. um, and they've instead mm -hmm. chosen to go with like German-based companies or other companies that um, are sanctioned in the EU so that they have the right to permanently delete their medical data um, and they can't be used wow. for purposes that wasn't told. I have never heard of that being an issue. That that's crazy that's one thing i love about the show is i learn something new every time in yeah. the u.s that's like uh you're the dna banks like can be used and have been used in the past to like basically track down people who yeah might have, i might feel not, like yeah committed crimes um that's not the reason why i <laughs> wouldn't want to do that but it's uh i Virginia think that you're right yeah i'm like just a very bad criminal yeah in my 20 something <laughs> years of life ponzi schemed it up uh no the um the yeah there's such a genetic makeup like you want to be careful like that's the only thing that you have right yeah i mean yeah that, that's like you can also i think that's another thing about security is like you know you say oh you know not a criminal but like i don't know maybe someone you know, a few years from now discovers a gene that says you really like cheese and then they're going to sell that, you know, big dairy. <laughs> uh, you I know. mean, like, more stranger things have happened, honestly. Like. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I think I've made one too many jokes about big dairy on here. They're going to come after me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, He's on to us. The big cheese. Uh, Virginia, for context, um, one of the running jokes on this show is that yeah. we... The, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of things related to cheese just keep our, popping our, up. Our, our first episode um, was titled "We Are Swiss Cheese." On the other hand, you just explained the joke, and that makes it less funny, Joe. Well, that's <laughs> what I do. I make things less funny, <laughs> unless I don't. Um, but yeah, that, that's really really interesting, though. From a like as a molecular biologist, like learning more about just how powerful genetic data is from a health perspective. It's and and with recent incidents where. Um, for example, twenty three and Me had a bunch of data that was released. Um, they're like yeah, big attack on them. Yeah, there, it, it's definitely a lot to think about. And I was kind of curious to get your opinion in terms of like, um, I think we've touched a little bit on um, policy, but is there anything like, like how does how does policy really kind of like shape this world sort of beyond? Um, sort of like the right to privacy or lack thereof um, in the digital space if that makes sense so something to think about is how all companies are now concerned with cybersecurity. i don't think i know a single company that hasn't had to move online for the day-to-day -day workings um, and if you're a company and you're publicly traded you're protected you have to follow um FTC and um, SEC like guidelines. So the Security mm -hmm. Exchange Commission and then the Federal Trade. Oh my God, is it Council? I think, uh, I think it's Commission. I think it's Commission. commission. Yeah. yeah. So um, those two really choose like basically the gist of it is based on the size of the company and its amount of budget and or like how much business it does you have to have a cybersecurity program implemented that's proportionate to how large you are, or at least like hmm. having mitigated the risks enough to lower it. But I think those, um, those are interesting because they have like the commission has findings and can enact like fines on people. Um, and then they've even chosen to start like, um, pursuing individuals in the company so even if you're like the CEO and your company has had a major breach um, you can have findings against you as an individual and you can't work for a company unless it has like a stringent cybersecurity department and you'll have to pay like a certain amount of fines wow. I guess what I'm not doing is like a good job the long and short of it is that 
um, there are regulations, there are rules, there are policies that help shape how you do your job. And then there are recommendations and frameworks given by governments to mm -hmm. help make and build up the cybersecurity programs. Um, and then there's the gaps in between, right? So when those two things don't cover what needs to be covered, when technology evolves at a rate that those entities are usually a little bureaucratic and can take a little while, what do they do? Like, and what do you do as a cybersecurity person? And I think that's where um, doing the right thing and like morality really comes into your job for like how, how you go about the work that you do as an IT professional. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot to think about. I mean, we're kind of related to this, like, um, like thinking about like larger companies and um, government getting involved, like how, like what, what do you, how could you describe to us kind of just what, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but like these large ransomware attacks, um, these are these are the kinds of things that uh, keep me up at night, like thinking about like, oh, like what could happen to the healthcare system that I'm starting to learn how to work in as a medical student, like um, if we're holding people's data sort of quote hostage like how do we how do we work with that like what what is what's the impact uh kind of in terms of functioning for the the corporation or the institution and i guess uh a higher level of government policy wise as well so ransomware is just to break down for people online is that it's malware or software that can be designed to either hurt the system's credibility, so change um, the integrity of the system and its data, or um, the other option of how ransomware attacks is through um, like a DDoS or a denial of availability. Mm. Um, yeah, so D DDoS stands for a distributed denial of service attack. Um, so there's sort of two ways that ransomware can impact. If the company, um, how do I put this? If the company is trying to stay up and running and functional, sometimes ransomware is being actually done by a third party or a group that is trying to extort you for money. Sometimes it's doing for like this is getting into the how and why do people do things, right? Sometimes they could do it for money. Sometimes they can do it for like to hurt your organization's credibility um, and like within the in your credibility within the industry there can be a number of factors that um might prompt ransomware to be a thing in your organization and then that affects how you might respond to it so for example if i work for a university and i am getting hit because it's a group that doesn't agree with a professor and their finding and they're trying to take down um in from like the school's website, just which is a reputational based attack. Um, mm -hmm. Like that person is likely not going to ask for a ransom. They are likely going to try to get them to instead take back what they've said or like pull that leverage to make the professor or like the person within the organization do something they want them to do. Mm. versus if they're looking to extort money from the organization they would say okay uh that would likely they would likely would have leveraged ransomware that they'd already reverse engineered to figure out how to take it away and once the um, company pays the ransom then you'd be given the keys and you'd be able to run the keys for lack of a better word on the uh, data whose integrity was ruined and then it could be up and running again and it would have been transformed back to the original data yeah and so you know we're talking about all these different sorts of attacks and things i mean joe you had these questions i mean I see why they're bouncing around in your head you did bring them up at the beginning of the episode but uh yeah you know, <laughs> virginia is there anything that like you know you would like to share with the audience you know you're uh, an expert um you know we haven't had any cybersecurity folks on here before 
Is there anything you'd like to, you know, just tell people any stories you want to share you know, before we wrap up? Um, so the f- first thing I guess I like to talk about um, is that everyone just because your information is online does not mean that you you should have the right to control what's being said about you and then also what your data is out there and so I think it's really important that people are aware about what acceptable use policies they sign up for and are aware in the systems that we engage in I think in the coming years we'll be pushed a lot to really understand like what risks we're taking on in daily life online and um, hopefully everyone will just be more fluent in um, the, just technology and wording about how and when their data is used and what they're agreeing to. And hopefully that means that it'll go also have the companies that are processing our data protect them a little bit better. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so that's important. But then a few things, just three things, easy in day-to-day life that you can consider adopting is uh, one, making sure that all your passwords are unique for every single system that you interact with and making sure that you have multi-factor authentication, which is um, like either text messaging or it can be an app on your phone um, for those logins, uh, especially your banking. Please do this for your banking information. Um, the second thing that you can do as a person is use a virtual private network or VPNs um, because right now your internet provider could be uh, basically using selling your data in chunks to advertisers online. And by using a VPN, it just makes it a little harder for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, just, just before we get too far away from what the first thing you said, I do not have the memory to remember all hundreds of passwords we, we came up with. I, I, that's actually how I managed to uh, lock myself out of some information. Um, I might have forgotten a multi-factor auth password, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> beside the point. But, you know, if I if I want to remember all these things, I need to come up with all these individual passwords. Do you have any suggestions for how to do that? Because I think that was kind of an intimidating comment if you think about all the places you log in. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, one of the things you can do is you can use, um, depending on what browser you, you're using, and if you uh, trust it, you could use the built-in browser version, or you could pay for um, a password keeper. Such as, There's apps called Keeper. There's one called LastPass. Um, there's tons of different password keepers that you can get online. Um, definitely want to look and make sure that it fits your needs and your family's needs yeah Yeah. i think password keepers are super important and i think that um it's impossible to remember everything yeah yeah. there's also free there's also free ones which this is going to make the my previous comment even more confusing although that was also true um there's a free one that Mm -hmm. i use called keypass um this is not an endorsement i don't again i'm not a cybersecurity expert so you know, Virginia can. Uh, Hashtag not sponsored. What? <laughs> yeah, it, it, they're they're free. They're open source software, but I mean, I don't. For all I know, that I have made a, a terrible mistake, like I did earlier. <laughs> so I'm not an expert. Um, but uh, um, yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there too. There, you don't necessarily have to pay money, but think about why it's free. It's important. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then the third thing is, um, I'll say is that this is a little trick and tip. I tell people, um, when you're applying for a new job, you use a Google voice number. Um, and then once you're done and you're at that application process and you've got that job that you really always wanted, um, you can go back and delete that Google voice number so that, um, individuals who might see your job that your resume that was posted on job board or might interact with your LinkedIn profile so that they can't just access your cell phone's number. Um, And I think that'll become more and more prevalent is taking steps to make sure that you're um, safe. I should should have asked you about this earlier. I I just don't answer my phone anymore. There's too many phone calls. (laughs) (laughs) I should have asked you earlier. (laughs) You could just do that too. You could just not answer your phone. Everyone loves that one. 
because um, everyone has my phone number now. I get the strangest spam calls because of <laughs> I applied for a job and my resume was out there. Um, although that's yeah. what we're seeing it, it's called smishing actually so sms mm. phishing mixed together and they'll basically sometimes bad actors will go on linkedin or zoom info or some stupid job board that you've posted all your info on and they'll pretend to be a person that's high up at your company and they'll send you text messages and try to get you to take different actions based on them so that's that's one of the reasons why i'm saying like when you just be aware about what personal information is online. And I think that now with the rise of smishing is um, like your cell phone number should be included in what you're concerned about. Oh, well, I'm safe from that. No one at work has my phone number. So uh... <laughs> no one has my personal phone. Well, I've got all these suggestions too. They're all really bad. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I just think it's also, um, it's late. It's also your online profile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I yeah. I just I love how I actually have legitimate bad advice to go along with your good advice. Uh, <laughs> I I actually based on Virginia, I, I really like appreciate all your tips and pointers. I think after this call I may go to do some uh cleanup in terms of what information I have available on, for example, my LinkedIn profile. I think I actually have a uh, resume on there that has my actual phone number um so i'm gonna go and uh take care of that after this call probably yeah that's a, a good idea being aware of just what's out there and yeah. um yeah well thank you so much for taking the time seriously to educate us and educate our listeners on this really important topic um, like Joe said, I'm going to end up changing all my passwords and I, I just always appreciate, um, especially people in cybersecurity willing to kind of break it down for, for people who don't live and breathe it. So again, thank you for, um, coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been so much fun. It's great to always chat with Sam and everyone else. Um, yeah, I'm definitely hoping to see you guys again in the future. Yeah, we Sam are. and Company. That's what this show should be called. <laughs> I've only got some of the episodes. Come on, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, Virginia, we'd love to have you back on. So thank you so much. Yeah, Maybe we can uh, do it once there's an, uh, a big event happening. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it would also be maybe fun to have like a couple guests. I'd love to see like Joe, your, your dad and Virginia interact. That would be interesting. Oh, that'd be funny. That'd be <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, but yeah, really, really cool. Thank you guys so much.